Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. And hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It is such a cold day here in the Great White North. As a matter of fact, we're probably going to have snow in the Great White North in a little bit. So uh, I guess Santa's just around the corner, you know, as it has to happen sometimes. Anyway, I am really glad that I'm here and that you're here and my great guest is here. Now, she has performed over 17,000 arias to over 500,000 visitors who had the good fortune to shop at Harry's of London, one of the famous and premier luxurious department stores in the world, while she was singing. She sung for heads of state, including royalty. She opened up the first venue for the Vancouver Olympics, and she shared the stage with Jackie Chan in Beijing. She even made a television appearance with Andrea Bocelli. She was featured on two albums, one in the UK and Canada, including the Herod's Opera Collection. So if you weren't in Herod's, you can still hear her sing. And as a featured artist on The Sound of Freedom, where she was also a collaborator and penned a song with Beatle producer, uh, Jill Martin. Strangely enough, her career began in the military. And when it took a sharp turn, uh, we'll talk about that in a, just a minute. But my guest today has a love for cosplay, saving animals, and of course, music come venture into the universe of alley and meet alexandria beck <laughs> hi hi <laughs> do you want do you want us to call you alexandria alley or alex well whichever whichever <laughs> is fine as long as you call me as long you as call i call me anything you, you want <laughs> i have a son alex and a partner alex so alex comes out pretty oh, easy but yeah, we'll, alex we'll, is fine whatever. i'll try to i'll try to you know whatever you like uh, we're going to be really fortunate today because we also are going to hear some of um, Allie's music, which is lots of fun, and they're all all three are so different that it's it's absolutely incredible. Now, you tell us that um, your career, singing career, actually started in the military, which is phenomenal because you didn't really know that you could sing. No, um, as you can tell, well, reading your reading the bio about me, it's like a little I bit was. Crazy. Yeah, I know. It's it's insane. Um, so I think I just get, I was just listening back to the things that I've done and I think, I think I just get bored easily or something. I'm not sure. Um, but I, 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 it's fun, you know, you're trying to live 10 different lives in one. I'm trying to pack it in. So, um, I guess I started actually playing saxophone, you know, in, in school band as you do. Um, yeah. and then my favorite movie out of Africa, yeah. um, has a scene with Robert Redford where he's playing for the monkeys and it's clarinet, Mozart's clarinet concerto in B flat, the second movement. And I fell in love with the emotion of it so much that I thought I'm going to play clarinet. And, um, ah, my no, well, let me stop. You saw, yeah. you're talking really, really fast. I'm going to stop before. Okay. Uh, what kind of sax did you play? Oh, well, that's a story too. I wanted to play alto sax, okay. but my music teacher said that I was tall for my age. So I had to play the tenor. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which makes no sense. At well, all. you know, I play tenor. Oh, did and, you? And, yeah, and I'm only five one, so it is heavy. It's Maybe so, that's what it was. It's ridiculously heavy. Yeah, it was, and it really my, hurts your neck. Oh yeah, no, 
elementary school and junior high was finding ways to bring my sacks to school, like using a luggage cart, all the things. <laughs> yeah. It was awful. It was awful. Yeah. I can yeah. imagine. So, so, we, oh, so you remember playing tenor sax. There's not that many people that do. I think there were two tenor sax players in the band. And uh, my music oh, I heard teacher, university. Yeah. 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 So then my music teacher didn't want me to change to clarinet because there's lots of clarinetists, but oh, I decided yeah. I've always been a little bit rebellious. So during the school year, I practiced clarinet and got a teacher, uh, you know, in my own time. And then the next year I just showed up my clarinet and he couldn't say anything about it. Oh, so that's how I started clarinet. And then my mom at work, um, you know, she was there and there's this man that, that worked there and Rob, and he was wearing this uniform and she asked him, you know, why are you wearing this uniform or whatever at work? And he said he was in this military band and she said that I was a clarinetist and he said they were looking for a clarinetist. So I went and I auditioned and then that's how I joined the army band at 16. So when you were 16, what kind of music were you listening to? Um, strangely well i don't know strangely i mean well, did you like classical music was that something that you enjoyed or all different kinds of music um yeah. what drew me to classical in particular was um the emotion the depth and mm-hmm. um, i'm also a bit of a perfectionist and classical music is extremely difficult so i think i wanted to give myself that challenge sure um, of it and then the singing part was kind of strange too because wait so let me stop because i want to go back i want to okay yeah the guy said hey join the join the military band so when you join a military band are you part of the military like what do you have to do to be able to be part of the band are you just like a civilian or what um, I was I was in a reserve band, 15th Field Artillery Band in in Vancouver, and um, you are they cadets or no? It's not cadets. It's the military. It's just reserve. So there's reserve okay. and there's reg force. Reg force are the people that it's their whole life. That, that's okay. their career. Reserve means you do it on a part time basis, but you okay. still can be called up for whatever they need you for. And I had to do um, seven weeks of basic training in Wainwright, Alberta. So when you were in reserve, what did, what what area did they put you in? So Wait, I was in this... the artillery in the artillery unit, but okay. I was in the band. Yeah. Okay. So well, if cool if by war. chance you 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 got you get called up to war, <laughs> what, what would you, would you like be shooting your clarinet? Uh, like what would you? Well, be doing? I, I think the band would be called last. Okay. <laughs> probably. Okay. Um, and probably in a more helping, <laughs> you know, helping arena. If you still have to like update your skills, I had to learn how to throw grenades and shoot machine guns and all that stuff. Yeah. Which is um, but but the band would be more, I think, on that. Well, congratulations know. for getting through basic training because I know it's not easy. I it know it's not. really scary, and I was not an athletic person by any means, and I was a very insecure child or person, teenager. So uh-huh. getting there, I think I ate my weight in food before I showed up. Oh, wow. Um, How old were you? So I, was six, I was just turned 17. Oh, wow. Yeah. So did, did, I mean, like, did you think a career in the military would be it for you because like they offer so much school and everything? Uh, I was, for me, I, I, I wouldn't have thought that far, mm. far ahead yet. I was just thinking I uh, it was awesome. Yeah. And you're getting paid to play. So at like 16 oh. years old and getting to travel, we went to San Diego and Hawaii and all these amazing wow. places and got amazing, had amazing experiences and I got paid to do it. So I kind of missed out, I think, on the normal childhood. You know, I didn't get to go do the parties and stuff because on weekends I was traveling and Off playing the with band. adults. Yeah. But that's cool. It was really cool. But, okay. you know, it had its things as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Where did this love of dress up come from? 
Oh, okay. So I, I'll take it a step back. Cause for me, like, like the universe of Valley, everything is connected. So, um, I got into opera because someone literally said, Oh, you have an operatic voice. And I said, Oh, okay. And then, and then okay. So you're 17, you're playing clarinet in the, in a military band yeah. and were you just going la di da di da. And so we go, Oh, I think I, um, I was singing in a school choir and my friend's father, who was the trumpet professor at UBC, um, had said to my parents, I think she should take singing That's lessons. the University of British Columbia for the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, in Vancouver, on the west, the west side. Yeah. Um, so he had suggested to my parents I should take singing lessons. I started singing lessons. I had my first recital. It was quite significant for me because before that I had wanted to be a concert clarinetist. But my nerves always got in the way when I played. So when I sang for the first time, it was, even though my legs were shaking like crazy yeah. under my dress, I felt this it was so great to just not have the instrument in between the audience and myself it was just me and the audience and the emotion of the song and the character and so I, I a person came up to me afterwards she was one of the teachers and she said you know have you ever considered doing a career in music or sorry in singing and I said, I, I hadn't thought of it for singing, but I think it makes sense. So that then followed through with finding out I had a classical voice, which then took me to opera What did that school, feel like? Singing opera? That, yeah, like what did that feel like? Well, the first time you went, ah, and you're going, oh, my God, that just came out of me. Like, did, is it like, is it mind-blowing, or do you go, oh, that's just me? For me, it was surreal. No, it's never, it's, it's always been a humbling experience. When I was singing at Harrods after, you know, I, I yeah. had a career and all that, I would still go up because I had very bad stage fright. So uh-huh. every time I would still go up and think, I'm like, I can't do this. There's no way. Like, I'm not an opera singer. Like, this is a joke, right? Like, it's not, I can't do that. And then I would start singing and it was like, I don't know, it's almost like something, something else was coming out of me. I know a lot of singers, I don't know, outside of classical on, on this, in this regard, but a lot of classical singers refer to their voice as being like a separate entity. We say it's, you know, my, like it, like it's, it, it's an it. It's your instrument. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like it's me, it's something else. So it was like the voice took over and it, it feels like, because when you classically sing, you're not singing with a microphone or application. Um, and, right. and so it's resonating inside of your your head um, and that that feeling is like this euphoric rush of excitement and adrenaline and depending on what you're performing mixing that in with acting and then of course then going to the costume element it is like this it can be this overwhelming unbelievable experience that you could be having just inside of your body <laughs> so you know typically when we think of opera singers and and people i don't know that many people that go to opera anymore but i, I went to havergal and so you know we we were exposed to, to opera very young and a lot of times you think of opera singers as middle-aged you know overweight um just you know bigger than life personality and and you know i'm sure that when people see you today uh, especially the last few days. <laughs> they yeah. were never in a million years saying that you're an opera singer. I haven't announced my hair. I'll be announcing on Instagram tomorrow, I believe. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll say it out loud then. And, you know, it, it's pretty uh, extraordinary, uh, you know, to think that this, you were young. You were like 17, 18. You went to school. You were probably like, how old at Harrods? You were like 24 or something when you sang at Harrods? Um, 
Yeah, I was 20, about 25, and I, I was staying there for four years. So when we come back, I want to I play one of your songs. So which one should we play first? Should we let them hear? Maybe we should start with the opera because... Okay, we'll start with the opera then. Yeah, let's start with the opera. <laughs> Actually, I kind of like to start with Cocoon and then the okay. opera. Okay, we'll start with... You're the host, you choose. <laughs> okay, and I just love your the last song. Oh, so good. Um, okay, but Ben, when we come back, from, we're going to queue up uh, the opera. So the... Um, what is it? Busy uh, Dart. Busy Dart, yes. Okay, okay great. <laughs> We're going to go to commercial break, but when we come back, you're going to hear Ali sing opera. is beautiful. Don't go anywhere. You're going to want to, you know, hear this. Getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. have a lot of spizzerinctum or the will to win and you have a strong desire to be a part of your favorite sports team the national hockey league might be for you did you know that if both goalies on an nhl hockey team are injured anyone at the game is eligible to step in and play the part Teams have resorted to using their coaches, team owners, and even their web designers to fill in for injured goalies. It's as simple as slipping into your breezers or hockey pants. The original hockey puck was made out of frozen cow dung. The fastest puck shot on record was clocked at 114 miles per hour. And I'd like to take this opportunity to send out a special thanks to the men and women of our armed forces serving our country around the world. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Prevention Magazine urges us all to set smart goals for fitness. Their clever goal-setting plan is to set goals that are smart, S-M-A-R-T. S is for specific. Don't make your goals vague or too broad. M is for measurable which could mean a goal weight, a goal body fat percentage, number of calories burned per day, number of miles walked, number of days per week you commit to exercise, etc. A is for attainable. A great way to make your goals attainable is to break them down into smaller achievable goals. R is for realistic. We gain confidence from goals that push us, but are also realistic. And T is for time bound. Give yourself a time to reach these goals. You are more apt to complete them if there are urgencies. Give it a deadline. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. And we're back. It's Frankie Sensamori. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso. My guest today is Alexandria Beck. She is the uh, universe of Bali. And we are going to play her song, uh, Visitarte, which is from the Herod's collection of songs. I'm not sure if it's still available, but you could maybe go on their website and see um, if their songs are available. And maybe they put them, it's called the Herod's Opera Collection. Maybe you can find it somewhere on eBay. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as soon as you're ready, let us know, Ben, and we'll be real.
you're walking in Harrods department store and there's a balcony and this beautiful woman dressed like what a princess <laughs> in elegant wear and she's singing arias to you. How beautiful was that? Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Thank you. And that's, so did you have to learn German and Italian? Um, yes, I'm in university. It was German, French, and Italian. And then yep. um, through my singing career, I had to sing in you know Latin and Czech, a variety of languages. But they have um, there's a way that you can learn. I mean, I clearly I don't know all of those languages. I can't have a conversation in them. But you, you can, can you learn it phonetically, so that sure. that helps. And then you know you're able to to make it happen on stage <laughs> how cool is that wow that's a lot i mean it really is phenomenal to be able to you know learn those languages and yeah it's hard to have a conversation but still <laughs> you can sing. i can sing it if we just talk about what's in an aria then i can i could talk for days <laughs> yeah oh wow so what was that that about for that aria that that opera, yeah, the Visita oh, okay. What is that so about? It's uh, my one of my favorite composers, Puccini. It's mm-hmm. a, a opera called Tosca, and um, like many many female female roles in opera, it's dramatic and usually it's fatal. Sure, <laughs> it's a, bit of a fatal moment <laughs> for her, um, but it's for the it's for the love of art, basically. That's that's the title of it. Um, and so it's uh, usually in operas there, you know, there's arias and then there's, which is like, you know, aria means song in Italian. Sure. And that's when they have a break in the drama of the story. So it's not, sometimes there isn't necessarily anything dramatic happening in that piece, but it's the, it's letting out the emotion of that. And then after an aria is done, then it gets into the action points where, you know, another, another person, a character comes in or, or this and that, and, and it goes on with the story. But offers are quite interesting. I think um, a lot of people are intimidated. I mean, yeah, they are because I guess they think I don't understand it. I don't know what it's yeah. going to be about. And it, it's kind of unfortunate. I know the opera world uh, it struggles, and especially in North America, it's not ingrained yeah. to our society like it would be in Italy or or Germany. But um, if the the I want to say to people who maybe are intimidated by by opera and I think you know like you said like it's just this middle age not that that's any problem with that but there's a stereotypical view of what an opera singer is or what opera is and it's literally anything but because the majority of operas are about really like it's almost like Shakespeare you know Shakespeare can be taught by conservatives or this and that but the, 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 the stories are not so there's rape and there's jealousy and there's murder and there's there's things that we're dealing with well especially now but there's things that we're dealing with as just a human race so I think uh, if people are not can look past maybe thinking they have to know what the words are necessarily or that they need to speak the language or they need to have studied what it means you could literally just you know go to opera or look, search you know an search up opera and YouTube or something and just close your eyes and listen and let the, the amazing orchestration um, guide you through the feelings. And then even just that alone gets the story. Yeah. And it helps sometimes to, just to know what the story is about before you go. And that way, like, you know, you can, even if you don't know the language, you can certainly follow the acting and figure out what's going on. 
Absolutely. So it, it is beautiful, and the, and the you know the set designs and the costume and the orchestra and just everything it just makes it. And people dressed up, it's so nice and and elegant usually. <laughs> Today everybody you know anything goes, I guess. But I know, it's, it's no, nice it's, when it was elegant and beautiful. And um, it's kind of nice do, doing it at Harrods was a, you know such a such a privilege for me to have that experience because at Harrods, obviously, as you were saying, it is like a very luxurious department store, very famous around the world. But there's, you know, it's, I think it, at the time it was the second destination that tourists went after the gala. Yeah. I think Big Ben was first and Harrods was second. So there's people um, from around the world and all walks of life coming and they would, they would, you know, go up down the escalator and hear this voice. A lot of people thought I was lip syncing, which was a little frustrating to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because maybe I made it look too easy or something, but I thought I would literally have people come up to me afterwards and say, you weren't singing. No, you weren't. Like they were tra- convincing me that I wasn't. Yeah, that's so funny. Real. But um, you got a chance. I got a chance to meet all these people, and they got to have this moment, this this brief moment in their day, um, where they have this experience. And maybe maybe it's just walking by, whatever. But for some, it was emotional. It was um, it was quite unique. Um, little Ali, little five year old Ali, <laughs> Alexandria, yeah. from Denmark. <laughs> My father's Danish. Your yeah. father's Danish. Yeah. And um, so when you were a little girl, you lived in Toronto? I was born in Toronto, yeah. And then when okay. I was nine, we moved to BC. Okay. So you're a little girl, and were you designing costumes for your Barbies and stuff? Like, did you do that? I used to do. I love doing that. What did, did you do I think that? I kind actually of? was taking all their clothes off. <laughs> I played Barbies for a really long time. I would hide them under my bed when my friends came over because I I played for a long time. Yeah. But um, I wasn't. I I'd always been fascinated by the escapism of it. So whether it was Barbies or whether it was collecting you know, like Harper's Bazaar or sure. magazines, I was obsessed with the editorial stories, you know, when they'd have like, you know, design or Galliano or whichever, and they would have a storyline like Alice in Wonderland or something. And they'd have these, you know, 10 pages of amazing, amazing couture, clo- you know, dresses or yeah. fits and the, and the makeup and the drama of it. So it was that, and I collected all these magazines and I would, that's how I got that's how I learned how to do makeup was by studying, you know, looking at it and trying to figure out how did they make that, how did they create the layers. And so I think the costume element, it was definitely always a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was deciding about university, which, which path to go, I did have a debate with myself, whether it would be music, makeup or fashion. And I went with music cause that was what, that was the main thing of my whole life. Yeah. Um, but when I had a, a brief stint, when I, when I moved back from England to Canada, I um I had a chance to take a break because I had been I think I was I think I was burning out on the music front I I mean I was so privileged to yeah London but you know by myself as a performer traveling the world but when I got back from Canada I was really tired (laughs) I can imagine Yeah. yeah so I I walked into a fabric store and I had I hadn't sewn in 10 years or something and I walked in and I thought I'm going to start have an experiment where I'm just going to let the fabric guide me so I'm going to put all the rules aside and that was something I had struggled with as a classical singer because I was always the rebellious one like when I was mm. <laughs> when I was had my career I would like smoke before I went on stage oh my gosh I wore like the shortest dresses and the highest heels and I was always like 
the bad girl. I've yeah, never, yeah, the like bad had, girl of opera. <laughs> I had the voice, but I didn't. I was not good at fitting in with the the constraints or the rules. So yeah. I wanted to take that with my fabric. It was a chance for me to say, "I've got no one telling me what to do. I don't have a voice in my head. I'm just going to let it guide me." So I went to the store. I picked some fabrics I liked, and I and mom just bought me like. Uh, like two hundred dollar sewing machine. Just I don't I don't even know why she started. I think she just wanted me to just try and get back into it. I don't know. It's very things in my life have always just sort of happen. Like the past yeah. is all to me. I'm sure that and people said, allow you to do things like that because you're so beautiful. You know, beautiful people get to do all kinds of things. <laughs> we are all beautiful. Yeah, well, some more than others. Well, it's literally it is from inside. I swear, because it is. I, before I moved to England, like I said, I was extremely insecure, and I did have the most, like after I came back from basic training. Do you remember the movie GI Jane? Yeah. To me, so that came out just as I got back, and I, I was like, I'm GI Jane. Like I was yeah. like having this experience. So I grade twelve was my most confident year, but even then, like university, it was all very I, I didn't deal with anxiety well, it's really stressed, really insecure. But when I moved to England, because I showed up with no money, no job, and nowhere to live, and I within a year was privileged to be able to, you know, make myself out of something there. Um, but that gave me the confidence and actually my looks changed because of that. Wow. It was the confidence. It was it was actually a notable thing. So what happened first? Like you were singing at Harrods and then you sang for royalty or you shared the stage or like how, what came first? Um, well, I originally moved to England. I had wanted a break from music and I didn't want anyone to know I was a singer. So I went for acting originally. Oh, okay. And um, I had a friend who was a producer and they were doing a, a movie, an opera movie where there was an that it was really about the backs behind the scenes and you had to be able to sing. And so I auditioned for it and I hadn't sung in like, I don't know, a year and a half and I was terrified and didn't know what I was doing. And um, I went and I sang and there was a pianist there who sang it. I sang an aria. And then afterwards he said, I can't, I had told him like, oh, I haven't sung on so long. This is going to be awful. And he was very nice. And he's like, I can't tell that you took a break. So I thought, oh, maybe. And I, it, it was starting to peak out like, you know, at 3 a.m. at parties, the opera voice. Yeah. Was a bit like a little bit of a party trick and uh and so I remembered that they used to be, that someone had told me when I first moved to England there used to be opera singers there so I called them and I said how, how did you find out about this and I said that someone told me before and they said that's so strange because we just put out a notice just internally looking for opera singers Myself. I'm going to stop you there because we are going to go to a commercial break. So you just, you know, took a chance. You called up and said, hey, I'm an opera singer. I'd like to sing in your store. I heard you used to have them. And boom, Bob's your uncle. You got a gig. How cool is Pretty that? Much. <laughs> we'll be right back. Warmed up. Frankie Sense and more. We'll be right back after we pay the bills. get a kick out of the warning labels companies attach to prevent lawsuits from the hooky crooky of this world. A warning label on a dishwasher cautioned not to put any person in the unit. Speaking of dishwashers, one product warning on a television remote control read, not dishwasher safe. That's too bad because we know how dirty the remote control gets. In fact, we press the buttons even harder when we know the battery is dead. What are we, part of the ridiculati? A warning on a baby stroller read, remove child before folding. Here's one for the blunderbusses and poppin' jays among us. A label on a letter opener read, safety goggles recommended. Call me snarky, but any society that needs this many disclaimers has too many lawyers, pedophagers, and snollygosters. It's merging never 
I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Low-fat foods can be healthy or unhealthy, depending on what you choose to eat. Whole foods like vegetables, fruit, beans, rice, and potatoes are all low-fat and good for you. Processed low-fat foods are a different story. Eat this, not that, says that the term low-fat is synonymous with loaded with salt and cheap carbohydrates. Many times when the fat is taken out, it is replaced by unhealthy ingredients that are not good for you. The New England Journal of Medicine found that over a two-year span, people on low-carb diets lost 62% more body weight than those on low-fat diets. It's always important to keep your fats low while choosing good, healthy foods to eat. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. It's Frankie Sense and more, and we are back with my guest, Alexandria Beck. And you know, on Frankie Sense, our show is always loosely aligned with United Nations Global Goals, and this is no different because Allie is a um, activist, a uh, animal activist, and and one of the things that she does is she puts on charity events, and this is where her her cosplay comes in. Now, I want to know about why Halloween charity events because you really get to dress up. <laughs> yes. I okay. love Halloween. Halloween is my favorite time of year. And um, <laughs> I'd always wanted to do charity events, but the reason I chose Halloween was literally because I just thought I, I don't know if this sounds egotistical, but I just wanted to go to my party. <laughs> I just thought my party okay. was so fun that I had to put it together because I couldn't find other parties as fun that I could go to. <laughs> How cool is that? So I know that this year you did a charity event for uh, Storybook Farm. Those are the the primates that that live there, and um, I did a show on Storybook Farm, and some of you might remember the the artist <laughs> uh, Warhol, oh, who, yeah, oh, Pockets Warhol, yeah. Pockets yeah. Warhol, yeah. Who, who's one of the top artists in the world, primate artists in the world. His his painting has just got one of his paintings just got into National Geographic children's book. It's amazing, so, and yeah, yeah and, and some very famous people own own some. Jane Goodall, of course, owns one, and um, uh, I forget his name, the comedian in, in England. Oh, Ricky, Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais owns one, and yeah, I mean, they're very cool, and these animals, you know, a lot of them came from labs and, and other places, and people shouldn't be keeping exotic pets, and so they're not pets at Storybook Farm. They're animals who get to live their life as they're supposed to. So how did that event go? for you went really really well we raised forty five hundred dollars yay yeah i just announced it online yesterday it was amazing so this is my third annual um event doing the previous years i did it for animal justice who were they're the only law organization in canada that worked for rights for animals to change law or work within the law and then i knew that i wanted to go the primate direction because i actually have a a strong feeling for orangutans myself and when i found out about them and I found out they were 100 percent volunteer run, and they have no government yeah. funding. I thought I had to do it. And so yeah. the the theme this year is Wizard of Oz, and it was perfect. The flying monkeys was yeah. Like, so it made, we were made to partnership. Um, that this was year, cool. Yeah, this year I did uh, I did it with someone else. So her name is Avra Epstein from Vegan Social Events, because all of the events, um, all the food is vegan. What what I do for for my events is I try I, I like to 
gather people from all walks of life just with my singing. So um, I never, it's never a big deal for me to say, oh yeah, this is vegan, this is that, because I want people to say, oh my God, that food was amazing. And then I say, yeah, and it was vegan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you so vegan? Do you keep vegan at home? I am vegan, yeah, vegan okay. for the animals. So um, yeah. I, I started as a vegetarian and um, went through, you know, it's a journey. It it's is. a journey for everybody. Everybody has their own experiences of their reasons why. But for me, I did it for the animals. Um, I yeah. can handle the suffering for it. And then it made sense then, of course, to start start doing my charity events. And so uh, yeah, this year it was Storybook. And I was, I was very so happy to, to talk about. We're going to run out of time. So let's talk about, um, I, and I love that you do these for animals because I'm an animal activist myself. So let's talk about the song Cocoon that we're, we're going to play up next. It's very different. Um, from the first, from, from yeah, very record. different. Yeah, so when I was when I was in London, I discovered I could sing other genres and not sound like an opera singing doing so, which sort of made sense with my I'm a bad girl opera singer to break the rules. Yeah, um, I've been working for years to to work on that vocally to be able to flip back and forth into different genres. And one of my songs during the transition of that, I released under the name Ali, which was my childhood name, and it's called Cocoon. So it's a mixture of pop vocals and opera vocals in a hopefully unique way. And then the video actually involves my cosplay because I made. The costumes for the for the music video as well. Did um, did you write this song? I did. I wrote it with Simon Wilcox and Talks. We all three met up in his amazing home, which is in the forest, and we cool. we wrote the song together. Yeah. All right, Ben. Let's go. Let's we'll play uh, Cocoon by Alexandria Beck. song and what yeah. what was that about um so it's very simply it was about coming out of my cocoon so when when i came back to canada i had a lot of struggle and i, I went through uh, chronic pain began to be part of my life and uh i had ptsd from things so um writing the song was a big deal because I kind of, I went into a, a cave, which is actually as an aside where it was filmed in Bonacher Caves, and there were bats there, which was cool, and uh, I went into a cave into myself with Drew, and so I was writing this to try to, to break free out of that, um, to break out of my cocoon, as a lot of, I think a lot of people 
are trying to do all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, re-blossom or have a rebirth. Um, after that, I released two other singles. And um, and then I actually, unfortunately, went back into a bit of a struggle for myself. And now next year is the final. I'm going to uh, retake the music part of my life and to bring it all together for Universe Valley. So it would be the music, the cosplays, and the, and the animal aspect. Um, it will Very be under cool. a different stage name, but it will be the same. Yeah, so it's, I like to break stereotypes as much as I can, break the rules, and have a, an all-inclusive environment with no stereotypes. So, yeah. I love cool. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to see how long we have until the end. I know that we started a little bit late, so I want to just... Uh, Okay, so, uh, yeah, because I want to see, I want to make sure we get everything in that I want to get in. Okay, <laughs> awesome. You, um, I, I, this is a very interesting story. You you still have links to the military, and yeah. you, like you told me that your your grandfather um, was part of the Danish resistance, which is very cool, and a spy with the British Secret Service during World War II, <laughs> and, and he was responsible for bringing Jews across the border um, from occupied Denmark into neutral Sweden. How cool is that? So we love Grandpa. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. Yeah, he's uh, pretty. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to meet him. He passed away before I was born, but obviously a story um, – Stories were told, and I went. I went to Denmark to see the home of my great grandparents, and you could see bullet holes on the side wow. of it. And apparently, that's that's where some of the Jews were were hidden, or in, was in the attic. And my my father at the time was living there. My dad was born in thirty eight, and then he was sent into occupied Denmark to live as a child. So that was a whole experience as well. Um, yeah, so it's quite intense. Actually, he ended up he he used his company as a front to uh to you know to help fund it helping helping jews and actually my mom's side is jewish so coming from both angles on this and after the war he ended up um they he eventually moved to england with my with my father and my uncle and then that's how i became british citizen even though i don't have any british blood but i'd like to say it's because of (laughs) of his work as a spy that yeah yeah and did he continue to be a spy after the war no, so um, it was a tricky time. A lot of uh, a lot of people that that became spies, you know, used their company and used their their resources. And unfortunately, the British government was not very good at compensating. Um, mm-hmm. So we actually have um, letters where he's 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 saying, you know, he he of course was completely would never would do it again and no problem. But sure. he just was looking for a job, like many other people yeah. were looking for jobs. Um, but he was lucky in that finally, by the time they had a job for him, he had already rebuilt um, his company. So he was lucky. Like It's interesting because I don't really think of Denmark as a, like, uh, you always kind of think of the Scandinavian countries as kind of neutral, I guess, because of Switzerland. Or, but um, is it a racist country? Like, are they oh, anti-Semitic? No. No, absolutely not. The Jews have a, or sorry, the Denmark has a, is a very strong country. I know it's not very known. Um, yeah. People don't know very much about Denmark, but Only they Carlsberg. were the first, they were the first, <laughs> <laughs> they were the first ones to say the Jews, uh, the okay. king of Denmark said the Jews are Danes first. So they were, it was Sweden that was neutral, which um, is a little bit of a conflict issue because it's hard you can't really be neutral during a war. You kind of yeah. have to choose one side or the other. But Denmark was absolutely not. They were just in a situation um, with Germany being attached to them that, 
you know, they were over, they were taken over and what they were, Danes were forced to um, grow crops and stuff, give the resources to the Germans so that they could be, you know, they could feed their armies and such. But they were absolutely, um, it was all about Jews were Danes first. They were not nice. racist at all. Yeah, no, I never thought that they were. That's why it was surprising that they were, that your grandfather was doing that but that's really cool and then your father he also served in the u.s army in korea and i know that we have a korean war museum here have you been to it in um, ontario no i haven't i, think I didn't know there was one in ontario yeah i think it's around oakville somewhere oh i didn't know that okay no i did to the ones in the states but i i didn't know that there was one in canada that's yeah. interesting but makes, yeah. of course it makes sense there were canadian military there yeah, it's just that, you know, like, I, I know that you drive the 401 towards Milton and it goes to the Korean War Museum, so I figured it was somewhere oh. around there, somewhere, Okay, I guess. So, uh, I'm not exactly sure where it is, but I know it's around there somewhere. So that's really neat. And then, um, <laughs> one more, you're, you're married to a general. Like, you're married to a general. Oh, I know. It's so weird. <laughs> Hi. Allie. Allie and the General, it's our reality show name. Yeah, <laughs> Allie the anti-establishment. <laughs> I know. So bizarre. <laughs> we got a um, minute to break. So, uh, okay. yeah. Uh, well, I, I, so, so really quick story. How we met was actually through Remembrance Day in Green Green Park. So the High Commissioner of Canada had asked him to contact me to perform for Remembrance Day. Uh-huh. And so that's how we met in England. But it kind of sums it up because on Saturday I'm performing at a ceremony that he's a part of at uh, Sunnybrook Hospital yeah. In, yeah. in Toronto for Remembrance Day. Like all of <laughs> yeah, that's where I was. Yeah, I was, I was there almost yeah six months in in the hospital there. So interesting. Well, that's a great segue into our next segment. So wonderful. Um, we're, you're listening to Frankie Sent Some More. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso, and my guest today is Alexandria Beck. She's into all kinds of things, but we're going to talk about Remembrance Day because it's coming up on November the 11th, just a few short days away. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. It's marching down the When residents of Alligator Point, Florida, discovered a 400-pound gabberlunzi bear raiding their garbage, they called the local wildlife authorities. The officers came out and shot the bear with a tranquilizer dart in order to move him. Unexpectedly, the frightened bear swam out into the water, where it started to drown as the tranquilizer began taking effect. Adam Warwick, an officer from the Wildlife Commission, jumped into action, swimming towards a juggernaut bear, while the other officers tried to figure out how to rescue both of them. Adam was somehow able to grab the bear and paddle 25 yards to the shore, saving the bear's life. The bear was then loaded on a truck and transported back to its home in the forest. What's the word for a last-minute attempt to get something done? A charrette. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Finally, a show that supports women who are in the midst of a transition in midlife. The show is Second Wind. Here's what certified coach, author, and host of Second Wind, Joyce Buford, wants you to know. It's so empowering for women to hear about other women and their accomplishments. We all need cheerleaders, someone who's on our side. Second Wind is that program to help women connect with other women, hear other women's stories. In a stressful world. Find power in those stories. Learn to discover your passions and joys again. Create the life you want to live to the fullest. 
Join us for Second Wind with Joyce Buford, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Central, right here on the TogiNet Radio Network. still with us. I'm still with us, and so is my guest, Alexandria. Back here listening to Frankie Stenson Moore. It's a little different show today. I've only got the one guest, but she's making up. She's like three or four people in one. <laughs> Before we went to break, we were talking um, about the military and, and her family's long history in the military and how she's married to a general. And you said that you met the general because he called you up to do an event, to sing at an event. A Remembrance Day event or yeah, Day? It, it, it was in London. Um, we're both London, Ontario or England? London, England. Sorry, London, England. Um, and we were we were both living there at the time. At, at that moment, I was you know always doing Herod's and then traveling around the world, getting to do you know singing for the Crown Prince of Dubai and all doing all these I guess random things. So is he general in the in the English British Army or uh, no, he's Canadian in the Canadian. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, they have people that serve, um, Canadians serve all over the world. Sure, yeah. Different countries, and so um, they. I had started getting involved with the Canadian embassy there and singing for, you know, kind of, especially with the operatic voice, it worked well for those kinds of events. Sure, and yeah. And so uh, because of my military background, I thought maybe I should do some stuff with the military, sing for the military. Um, and so the high commissioner at the time had called him to ask um, him to get in touch with me about singing for Remembrance Day at Green Park, which is because um, there's a memorial there, which is right beside Buckingham Palace. Okay. And usually it's just, I think they just tape, they just, you know, play a taped recording. But I thought it'd be nice to have a, a voice sing um, for the people. And so he had called me. It was, I think, um, November 4th, and the event was actually November 8th. And so I sang it. I think CBC News World actually, they filmed it and they did a news story about it. Wow. Yeah. And and love blossomed. <laughs> it did, yeah. It was was it like when you first saw him, like, were you, oh, my God, he's so hot? Or did he just grow on you? <laughs> <laughs> he's listening in. Oh God, I have to be careful what I say. No, actually, when I saw him, I thought, he's trouble. <laughs> yeah. Was he in uniform? Um, I met him. No, I met him in the office. So when in, in his, he was working for the embassy, so they just wore suits. Yeah. It wasn't the, oh, my God military guy in uniform thing <laughs> yeah, yeah that's so funny <laughs> so so you staying for that and now um on the 11th just two more days away actually it, it's it's memorial day veterans day um poppy day for some of those of us who were the poppies um and you have an event i do i'm singing at um sunnybrook hospital in mm-hmm. toronto which you said that you and i'm sorry that you you had to be there for Thank so long you. Um, but they have a veterans wing. They and, do. Yeah. yeah. And it's quite amazing, actually. I mean, you, you can never like discount, you know, as people get older and senior citizens and stuff, or they go into homes, people, I think the general public maybe discounts them or thinks they yeah. kind of just disappear. But they're amazing people have experienced these amazing things. And there's um, this one man, I believe his name is Jack Ford, and he actually did war photography. Wow. And, he did like photos of like Winston Churchill, like up close and the yeah. King and all these amazing stuff. And he, he's one of the, the people running the residents there. And, um, I think which reminds was, me, I'm going to yeah. stop you for a moment. Cause if those of you who are listening, if you remember, um, J- Jonathan Sands is Winston Churchill's great grandson. He's been on the show twice. No, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. He's, he's, he's adorable. And, um, 
He oh. lives in Texas now. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. That's a coincidence. <laughs> I know. Very funny. Anyway, I had to throw that in. Yeah. Back yeah, to the yeah shows, guys. <laughs> he, he wrote a book about his great grandpa, great great papa. He says, "My great grandpapa." He um, yeah, gone in Churchill. Okay. So you've got this event, Sunnybrook at the Veterans yeah. Hospital. Yeah, you're right. People do tend to discount the elderly. They think, oh, you know, they're slow. What do they know? But they've had amazing life adventures, and everybody's going to get old one day, folks. And uh, you're going to be one of those people with amazing yeah. life, life adventures, and people are going to ignore you because, hey, you're not fast anymore. And you know our, <laughs> our population is aging, so there will be more yeah. older people than there are now. So, you know. But the younger people aren't having now. kids, and so, like, you yeah. guys are going to really lose out because – Who's going to visit you on the holidays? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who are you going to cook for? <laughs> yeah. That's what I keep telling my kids anyway. <laughs> yeah, I keep reminding them, don't forget about me. <laughs> yeah, don't forget about me. My son, t- my son told me, don't don't make that your uh, your long-term plan to move in. <laughs> <laughs> Little does he know. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's it's so difficult. You know, it is difficult for young people today because they are the sandwich generation. You know, yeah. they, they've got their, their parents who are elderly and aging and need help. And yet, you know, they still have their own kids to deal with. And it, it's a tough position. But... Um, a nice one in a way, if you can if you can look after your children. But to sing and do something for the veterans, uh, very soon there won't be any left from oh, the First World War. Absolutely. You know, there are very few and far between now. And, you know, those are the people who have the memories. Yeah, they've experienced. I mean, if we think we had it tough, mm-hmm. <laughs> life was completely different back then. Um, yeah. During the Depression, during, you know, going through these experiences, they joined up, you know, when they were teenagers, thinking it was just going to be a fun little weekend or, sorry, a summer well, they were told, right, weren't they? Yeah. They were told, oh, this is, you know, be a man, join. It's going to be so much fun, big adventures. Uh, yeah. And they were sold a bill of goods. They were sold a bill of goods. And, the, and when they landed on the shores of Normandy, oh, my God, right? I know. can't even imagine it. Memorial Day. So yeah, that's it. I mean, I guess it's funny that it's funny that I did marry someone who, who and you know, a general, a general. military. But as I think back, it, it kind of, I guess it kind of made sense as my my lineage, and I do believe in um, honoring people and experiences, yeah. struggle, and I'm very much about the underdog. Um, so you know, so you wrote the song "You Keep Us Free," mm-hmm. and when was when did you write it? So I wrote it, um, I brought it in England okay. with, uh, with Giles Martin, who's the son of Sir George Martin, who was the yep, Beatles yep. producer, and, and then Giles has um, taken over that reign and, and done a lot of stuff for the Beatles, um, Beatles work, and we did it um, in Air Studios, which is actually a really famous studio in London where they, they uh, where they, the, um, sorry, Sir George Martin started, and we, we did it upstairs at the very top, you know, in this little attic thing, yeah. <laughs> we're writing, it was, it was very cool, um, and we wrote it for this album that I had been asked to come over to Canada, that's, that's kind of the reason I, I came back to Canada, was to, to do this album that was featured on called The Sound of Freedom, and um, it was to help military families in Canada. Nice. And um, so we wrote this song, and it's about uh, it's called "You Keep Us Free." So obviously, the title kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, what it's about, but it's it's basically just you know, I was trying to find a way to to give back, and with only limited understanding from from my point of view. At that point, I wasn't a military spouse, so now it's an even more understanding of what it's like. But um, it's just about giving okay. back. Let's play, Ben.
Just beautiful. Love Thank that you. song so much. Thank you. And and each each you know song, you're so very different on it. It's it's extraordinary to hear that. You know, I wanted to talk to you, you know, I don't know, something just came up in my head and Ben, I'd like you to chime in too if you want, uh, being military. But the shooting that happened in Texas, one of the things I was thinking about was that this was somebody who had, you know, tried to join the military, was was kind of kicked out of the military for whatever behavior or, you know, not being able to join whatever. But, you know, is it possible that, and I think it is, that soldiers aren't being debriefed, that maybe everybody needs to be debriefed because of PSTD, or that everybody who is in the military just needs to undergo something before they're actually really let go back into society? Because it just seems that so many of these acts of terror and violence you know, in North America are from military people, people who are either in the military or just out of the military, or who went AWOL in the military, and um, I think that we're failing them somehow. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. Ben wanted to say something first. Um, so, I, I mean, PTSD is a huge, I think, is a huge aspect to not just military people, but people yeah. in general. And I think, um, I mean, for Canada, I can only say so much, but um, they are, the CDS is is trying to put people more at the forefront. Um mm-hmm. And and making making sure that there is recovery for um, PTS. I don't want to say victims because no, this is a negative spin. Survivors, on. survivors, exactly. And so I, I think I, I personally think yes, we need as someone who's especially for the underdogs, people who who have struggle. Um, I think that people need more resources. They need 
they need more help, and they need more understanding from from everybody. Um, I know, obviously, in the states, very patriotic country. Mm-hmm. Canada, we're not so we're not so open about our feelings right. about that. Um, and I think that there's a bit of an, a disservice because a lot of pe- oh, we've people. Oh, we only got a minute left. Sorry. Oh, okay. Ahead, so I was just gonna say. So, people and the military families, uh, you know, struggles tremendously. Just, just moving from one post to another post yeah. is a struggle in itself. Let alone going to Afghanistan or whichever. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I do, I do think that there, there needs to be more help. Yeah, something to think about, everybody. But our hearts and, and prayers still go out to those families of last weekend who was just a horrific event. Alexandria, I am so pleased that you were able to, you know, join me today, and we got to, you know, learn a little bit more about the universe of Ali. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I feel very privileged for for this is my first chance actually getting a, an opportunity to speak about everything everything that I do in, in one. So I really appreciate it. And I can't wait till next year when you put it all together and we see what you're (laughs) going to come up with then. Thanks, everybody, for joining me today. Frankie Sensenmore, I'm your host, Frankie Picasso. Alexandria Becker was my guest, and we will see you again next week. Oh, happy Thanksgiving next week. We won't be here. Turn